0: Well, you can be seated, grab a Bible, grab a copy of God's word and turn with me to Galatians chapter two, Galatians chapter two, uh, verse 20 today, just one verse. I'm excited to be with you today as we talk about a new way to be human. As you're turning there, uh, let me just take a moment and say how excited I am about the next couple weeks. Uh, we are a church that loves our community. And one of the ways First Baptist is loving our community this year is by uh, adopting and trying to bless some of our schools. And so there are actually four schools our church is adopting this year to bless, to bless the faculty, bless the staff, uh, bless the teachers that are there, the administrators, all those types of folks. And uh, next Sunday night, not tonight, but next Sunday night, we are actually going to spend time praying for these four schools. These four schools will be things where people we're going to pray for over these next uh, few weeks. I don't know about you, but I think our schools could use some prayer. Anybody say amen to that? Our schools, as our children get ready to go back, are going to need prayer, and we're excited about doing that. So, next Sunday night, uh, if you're not already connected to a life group that's already going to be mobilized to pray for these schools, please let us know. We can connect you with a group if you've already found one, but our life groups are gonna be going to those four schools uh, and praying for those, just doing a prayer walk around those schools. And then afterwards, we are going to meet back here at the church to hang out in the backyard uh, behind our building for some fun, watermelon, hanging out, doing those kind of things. So those are the four schools you're seeing there on your screen. Uh, At six o'clock, you're gonna meet at one of those four schools that's connected to your life group. So we've taken our multiple life groups and, and assigned them each to a school. And so we're meeting at six o'clock at those schools to pray. And then after you're done praying, you'll come back to the church and we'll have some time just to fellowship and hang out. But please join us as we pray for our schools and really seek to love in our community in the name of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible and you've turned to Galatians, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Please stand to your feet with me. If you're joining us online, we're again, we're glad you're here with us today. I hope this is a blessing to you. Hope this message encourages you as we look at what it means to be a new way to be human. Galatians 2, some of your translations, this will start at the end of verse 19. Some of them will start in verse 20, but here are the words I want you to pay attention to. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me let's pray together Lord Jesus we pray in these next few moments as we spend time together in your word God we pray God that you and you alone would speak to us Lord Jesus I pray that you would remove distraction you keep our minds and our hearts totally fixed on you and Lord as you speak to us today we pray that we would not just be hearers of your word but doers in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Uh, in 1999, I had a silver Ford Bronco Two. Anybody know what a Ford Bronco II looks like? Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? Not only was it silver, it had orange letters on the side that said <laughs> Bronco Two. I thought I was really hot stuff in high school. Probably everybody else was laughing, but I thought I was pretty hot stuff. And what I would do is I would roll the window down. And for those of you that don't know what this motion is, this is what you used to have to do to older vehicles to roll the window down. And I would play music as I drove around the greater Memphis metro area where I was born and raised. 1999, one of the albums that I would blare out through my Ford Bronco two with orange letters was by a band called Switchfoot. Somebody got a Switchfoot fan out here? I thought I heard somebody cheer. Okay, great, people know who I'm talking about. And in 1999, they came out with this album called A New Way to Be Human. And it was this whole album about the fact that God has called us into this new way of living. It was perfect timing for me as a high school junior and senior because God was awakening this reality in my life. That he wasn't just concerned with securing my future or forgiving my past. He was also really interested in transforming my present. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the vision of this church and what we're about as a body of believers. And we believe that our mission, our task, as we've expressed the Great Commission here, is to guide people to multiplying impact, For Christ's kingdom. We want to see people become followers of Jesus that make disciples of people who make disciples of people who make disciples. But underneath that conviction and that goal is the belief that we are calling people. We are inviting people in this community and the greater world, not just to a worship service. We're not just inviting people uh, to be a part of a few programs or a few events. We're inviting people into following Jesus so that they experience a new way to be human. I wanna talk to you about a new way to be human through the idea today of identity in Christ. If you've ever watched a movie where somebody went into witness protection because they maybe were in harm's way, the government moves them into witness protection where they get a new ID, they get a new name, they get a new birthday, a new social security number, brand new identity that they're given through the witness protection program. What you and I need to remember is that when we come to know Jesus, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he gives us a new identity. He gives us a new way of looking at ourselves, understanding who we are. He gives us a new sense of purpose and peace and power that all come from him. And this is the idea I really want you to sink your teeth into this morning as we look at Galatians 2.20 and look at a new way to be human. Here it is in a statement. Because Jesus gives us a new identity, live it out. Because Jesus Christ gives you and I this new sense of reality, this new sense of who we are, you and I must give ourselves to cultivating and living out this identity we have in Christ. I'm going to suggest to you three ways You and I need to live out this new identity we have in Jesus from Galatians 2.20. Are you ready? Number one, you and I are called to live out a received identity. We're called first to live out not an achieved identity, but a received identity. Now those words are important because I think they help us understand what Paul's talking about when he says, I have been crucified With Christ, what you have has not come because of what you've achieved. It's come because of something you've received by faith. You know, in popular culture, we think about the idea of somebody achieving something when we say somebody is a self-made person. We'll look at somebody and say, they're they're a self-made person. They didn't get where they are because somebody gave it to them. They accomplished it themselves. Bill Gates, might be the most famous self-made person in our world today. He, at 13, started programming and coding. He dropped out of college. And today, Bill Gates is worth $85 billion. None of that was given to him. He accomplished that on his own. But we distinguish self-made people from what's popularly known as a trust fund kid. How many of you in here have ever heard of that term, a trust fund kid? That's somebody who didn't work for what they've gotten. They've actually just received it through an inheritance. Uh, Lisa Marie Presley, who's the daughter of the famous singer Elvis Presley, tried her hand at music, wasn't quite as successful or maybe as talented as dad, but it didn't really matter in the end because dad, Elvis had done such a good job of setting up his estate that Lisa Marie inherited millions and millions of dollars that set her up for life. Now here's the point, here's the point. There is no such thing as a self-made Christian. There is no such thing as a follower of Jesus that has what they have because of their skill, their ability, their wisdom or their strength. We are all trust fund Christians. We are all people who have a father who in his love sent his son to die for us. And then through his death, We've received an inheritance that's ours, that sets us up not just for this life, but for eternity. And the challenge, of course, is if we're honest, most of the time we have a very high view of self-made people and a very low view of trust fund people. And the reality is a lot of trust fund kids are entitled, maybe apathetic. But the reality is when you look at this passage, and I want you to look back at your Bibles at what he says here. When you look at it and you understand the price that was paid for your inheritance, it doesn't lead us to passivity. It actually leads us to active engagement with our Savior. Look at what he says again in the Bible. I have been crucified with Christ. And when you read that word crucified, it's very easy just for that to kind of fly over your head. But you've got to understand that while we might read over that word and just skip to the next one, when these original readers heard that the Savior they were following was crucified, it was scandalous. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. And crucifixion wasn't just a way of ending someone's life. It was the way the Romans communicated through the world, to the world, that if you mess with us, if you cross us, this is what's going to happen to you. Cross wasn't just an instrument of torture. It was an instrument that made a statement. Person through a brutal, horrific set of suffering dies basically by suffocating death. They can no longer pull themselves on the cross to take a breath and they die by suffocation. Awful, horrible way to die. And the Bible says that Jesus was crucified and specifically it says, you believer were with him when this happened. We were with Jesus when he was crucified. What does Paul mean? He means that when Jesus was dying, We were with him on the cross. The reason you and I were with Jesus on the cross when he died is because it was our sin, our rebellion that put him there. See what we deserve, what we should have been given, Jesus takes. Remember, and this is especially important to parents as you're communicating the gospel to your kids, the heart, the center of the gospel is the word substitution. Jesus takes our place. When Jesus dies on the cross, our sin dies with him. Reminds me of the famous character from literature, Harry Potter, who through a series of events, Harry has a piece of the evil Lord Voldemort living within him his entire life. At the climax of those books and those movies, Harry dies and in dying, a piece of that evil Lord Voldemort dies with him. It's only in Harry's death that this evil thing can be defeated. In a similar way, when you and I look at the cross, you're seeing a piece of yourself dying. You're seeing Jesus die in such a way that he's taking this evil, this sickness that you and I have in our lives, and he's dying for that so that now, if we place our faith in him, We're crucified with him in such a way that we are given new life. See, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, the reason you've been crucified with Christ is because Jesus moves you from the position of guilty to being innocent through his death. And he does so by taking your guilt on himself. The Bible talks about this idea through the concept of headship. All of us into the world with Adam, as our head, he's the one we relate to, his rebellion, his sin, his disobedience of God is what we're connected to. But by faith, when we're crucified with Christ, Jesus moves us from being connected to Adam so that now he's our head. Jesus is our life. It reminds me of what you may have observed in a preschool in the hallway. You ever seen a a group of preschool kids walking with a rope Anybody ever seen this where kids are walking with a rope and and the teacher is teaching them how to walk in a line. And so all the little kids have a piece of the rope and the teacher's at the head and she's kind of pulling them along. When you enter the world, you're connected to a rope with Adam at the head of the line. And if you stay connected to Adam as your head through your entire life, the way it ends is facing the wrath and justice of God. But when you're crucified with Christ, Jesus moves you from being connected to a rope that's connected to Adam at the head and he moves you to a rope that's connected to him. See, what you and I have been given is a new life in Jesus that we've not achieved on our own. What you and I have been given is a life that we've received by grace through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the point I want you to write down if you're taking notes, you're typing it on your phone. A received life, therefore, is a grateful life. Somebody who's got a received identity has no room for pride or boasting about what they've done. Someone with a received identity has a grateful attitude about everything in their lives. Appreciate Kyle's honesty when he was leading us in worship, that gratitude is a struggle. I think all of us could probably say gratitude is a struggle for us, especially in this COVID-19 season, right? But in the same way that those trust fund kids can't rightly be proud of what they've accomplished, in the same way that it would be odd for Lisa Marie Presley to walk around strutting what she's done, You and I can't walk around prideful about what we've done. We can't focus on what people have done to us. We have to focus instead on what's been done for us. So how are you doing with gratitude this morning? How are you doing with being grateful? You know, one of the keys to being grateful is preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. Every single day waking up and saying, I have been crucified with Christ. Listen to me. If you really want to be grateful, quit focusing on what's been done to you and instead focus on what's been done for you. Because here's the reality. If you understand what Jesus has done for you, you understand that it's greater than anything that's been done to you. Number one, if we're gonna live out a new way to be human, we have to live out a received identity that leads us to gratitude. But secondly, we also have to embrace a life that's lived through an empowered identity. We need to live out an empowered identity. Look at what the Bible says here. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. You know, when you think about power, we normally think about strength or might or influence. Forbes magazine listed the five most powerful people in the world. Xi Jinping of China, Donald Trump of America, Vladimir Putin of Russia, Angela Merkel of Germany, and Jeff Bezos of the country known as Amazon. You guys heard of that country? It's out there. Those five people, they said, these are the five most powerful people in the world because these people, according to Forbes, they have, most of them have military power. When they make decisions, troops move, carriers move across the globe, tanks, armament moves. They have economic power. When they make decisions, markets are affected. People's livelihoods rise and fall on the decisions these people make. They have political power. They have power over laws and legislation as they influence that. Their their power shapes the laws that create freedoms or take those away as the case may be. But what Paul wants to make clear here to us is that while all of those things do represent a form of power, it's not actually real power. Because real power that Paul's calling us to is to recognize it's only real power if it can affect both the Physical and the spiritual realm. And what the Bible makes clear is that only Jesus has this kind of power. This shows up in Jesus' life when he's coming to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who's died. And if you remember the story, the Bible says Jesus wept. It's famously the shortest verse in the Bible. But it's one of the most important verses in the Bible because Jesus is not just weeping about his friend dying. He's weeping about seeing the vicious effects of sin in the world. And so when Jesus steps forward to the tomb of Lazarus and they roll the stone away and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus steps out. Jesus is not just flexing his muscles with a physical realm and that he can make a dead heart start beating. He's flexing his spiritual muscles in the spiritual realm because he's showing he can break the chokehold sin has in this world. That's real power. The kind of power you and I need is the power that Jesus unleashed to Lazarus, but also the power that he unleashed when he himself rose from the dead. Paul says, you and I live in this power, The power of Jesus that's living in us is the power we're to tap into. In other words, Jesus hasn't just changed your position. He hasn't just moved you from guilty to innocent. He's done that. But more than that, he's also connected you to a power. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's a connection. There's a vital connection. I grew up watching... Uh, Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen play basketball and uh, got an amen over here all right amen yes they were incredible and um, that was when basketball was worth watching I think and uh, another amen okay I'm on a roll here and uh, in the 90s when they were both playing uh, there was this powerful duo that they formed they they had this connection where they just kind of fed off each other when one was playing well, it kind of willed the other one. When one was down, the, the other one helped them do better. They, they fed off each other. There was this energy. And you see this in athletics. A pitcher and a catcher can have this kind of synergy, this energy between them that wills them to do more together than they could by themselves. A quarterback and a receiver can have this kind of connection where they do incredible things because of this feeding off each other they have on the field of athletics. What you need to understand is that there is a connection between you and Jesus that you're meant to feed off of. There's a connection through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus is close and real so that you live in his power. You know, sometimes I think we think Jesus is far away. He's not really close to us. It reminds me of what I observed in the 90s, going back to the 90s, when cell phones were first kind of becoming really popular. Did you ever watch somebody shout into their phone? No offense, it was typically older people who didn't understand how the phone worked and they would say, hello? They would shout, can you hear me? And and you just want to kind of come up to them in public and say, you don't have to shout. This phone makes that person right next to you. You don't have to shout at them. But as funny or as humorous as we might think that is when we see people shout into their phones, how many of us are doing that in a relationship with Jesus? In our prayer life, God, can you hear me? Are you there? Where are you? Reality is what Paul says is when he says, Christ lives in me, he says the connection you and I have is not one that's distant or separate or far apart. No, it's brought right there with you. If I could just chase a rabbit for a second, I think part of the reason God feels distant to many believers is because there's so much noise in our lives. We never slow down long enough to hear him. Part of what we've got to do if we're going to hear from the Lord and experience his power is slow down our lives. Here's the point. An empowered life is a dependent life. The new way to be human, Jesus calls us to, is not one of self-reliance or self-sufficiency. It's not a power that you have within yourself. It's a power that comes from him. Now, to be clear, Paul doesn't mean that Jesus living through him means that he just gets to sit back and prop up his feet and watch the world go by. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that it's not the absence of activity that, that really characterizes dependence. It's the presence of activity around the source of power that God has unleashed in our lives. Several years ago, I was watching television, and I watched a commercial about these racing sailboat teams. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those races or just tuned in for a few minutes You got teams of people that are in these boats with no motors of any kind, no mechanization of any kind, and they're racing over the water. These boats can get up to 75 miles an hour on the water if they're properly handled. But if you watch those teams and they know what they're doing, what you're not seeing is the absence of activity. Instead, what you're seeing is the presence of activity around the wind. They're trying to get their sails perfectly adjusted to harness that power, to move that boat across the water with incredible speed. In a similar way, what you and I are called to do is not to prop up our feet and hope we catch God's power. We're called to orient our activity, our lives around the source of power that is the spirit of God and the word of God. It would be odd on the other hand, of course, if you watch one of those racing sailboat teams and you watch them do this. Sorry if I spit on you in the front row there. It it would be odd to watch them try to blow those sails over the water. But I'm telling you, that's what so many of us are doing today. So many of us are trying to blow in the sails of our life rather than orient our activity around the source that is the power of Jesus. A new way to be human means an empowered life is a dependent life. How are you dealing with dependence on the power of the word of God and the spirit of God? One of the things we've tried to encourage you to do every single day you wake up is not just to preach the gospel to yourself, but to spend time in God's word. See, what you're doing when you read your Bible every morning or in the evening or at lunch is you're trying to get your sails to harness the power of God's spirit and his word in your life. You're not just reading your Bible for more information, although information's important. You're not just reading your Bible to check a box or to go through a motion because the pastor's going to guilt you into doing it. You're reading your Bible. You're spending time on the Word because you're trying to get the sales of your life around God's power. You need that in your life. The new way to be human, Jesus calls us to, is an empowered life that shows up in dependence. But thirdly and finally, we are called to live out not just an empowered life, but a satisfied life. We're called to live out a satisfied life. When I think about that word satisfied, I think about Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) And uh, a really good meal, sitting back from the table around people that I love, people that I care about, people that care about me, and And amidst the noise and the busyness of that, just having some moments to just take in and be filled, fulfilled, be at peace. There's a real great moment when that happens, of satisfaction. But the kind of satisfaction that the Bible calls us to is not just one that leads us to an afternoon nap, although I think naps are great. The satisfaction it leads us to actually calls us to engage. It's a satisfaction that leads us to follow Jesus because we're not going after other things. This is what Paul talked about when he says in the rest of this verse, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul talks about the body, he's talking about his life on this earth. Yes, Jesus is living through him, but he wants people to know that faith in the son of God is what's moving him. It's, It's the satisfaction in this that brings him to that. Faith is not just acceptance of the truth, it's reliance on the truth. And it it speaks to a heart that treasures Jesus above all other things. The reason your heart is so important is because your heart is the control center for your life. Your desires lead you to do what you do. The reason you and I do the things we do, from what we eat to how we drive to what we look at on the Internet, The financial decisions we make is not just information. It's born out of a desire for something. I do what I do because I think those things are gonna fulfill me. And Paul's saying, the reason you should do what you do is because you're cultivating a treasuring of Jesus. This command center that drives what you do is to be built around this fire, this desire for him. Why? Look at how we describe Jesus. Because he's the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul adds an important dimension to Jesus here because he says Jesus is not just the one who died for you. He gave himself up for you because he loves you. See, the reason you can treasure Jesus is because Jesus treasures you. The reason you can love Jesus is because he has loved you first. Jesus didn't die for you out of duty or obligation. He didn't die for you because he was looking for something to do and was bored. Jesus died for you out of a burning, passionate love that moved heaven and earth to come and find you. You know, COVID-19 has been hard on all of us in some form or fashion, but I think it's been hardest on those that are in nursing homes. Over the last several months, I've shared with you about my my sweet gran who died alone in a nursing home. Really hard on our family not to be able to see her, to be with her. I read a story this past week about a, a Baptist pastor who came to visit his wife as he had always done. She's in the late stages of all, she's in the late stages of Alzheimer's, and he showed up March 12th to the nursing home as he had done every day before. they informed him he could not come in and this man Jack Eccles argued he tried to fight, he even took legal action to try to figure out a way to go see his wife, but they were unmoved and so he said, "Well, if I can't come and visit her, I want the next available room that you have." and this man. Paid to live in this nursing home. He moved in, moved all his belongings, moved all his possessions in. The staff won't let this guy go anywhere unless he's going to his wife's room. And three times a day, he goes and feeds her. It said this article I read says it takes him 90 minutes to feed her because of her condition. He's literally pouring his life out for his wife and the reporters asked him, I said, why why are you doing this? I mean, the medical staff, they would take care of her. And why are you going to all these lengths to try to take care of your wife? I mean, they've got people that can help her. And he said, for 70 years, she has taken care of me. How could I abandon her in her hour of greatest need? He said, you know, she doesn't recognize me anymore. She doesn't even smile when I walk in the room. But there's still a beautiful radiance about my wife that I love to get to be around. That's love. Love is not the Hollywood caricature of physical infatuation, real love is a 70-plus-year-old man saying, I'm moving into that nursing home because I'm not going to let my wife be alone like that. That's real love. And as beautiful as that love is, that that husband has shown for his wife, listen to me. The love Jesus has for you is greater. It's wider, it's deeper, it's higher than any love you could conceive of in this world. Because Jesus didn't give up his house or just his possessions. Jesus gave up his throne in heaven to enter this world, to take on human form, to take on the form, not just of a human, but of a servant and to die, not just any death, but to die a death on a cross for you and for me. He did that because he loves us. And the new way to be human, we are called to church as a way to be human that says, I'm living a satisfied life in intimacy with this Jesus. See, a satisfied life is an intimate life. The life that Jesus has called you to is not one of duty or obligation or drudgery. The life Jesus has called you and I to is a life of intimately delighting in Jesus's love for me. Spencer, I, I, I want to love Jesus. I want to treasure him. How do I stoke that kind of fire in my life? The way that you and I stoke the fire for Jesus in our hearts is by pressing into the fact that he loved us first. Delight yourself in Jesus's love of you. And over time, you will grow in your love for Jesus. You and I are called to live out a satisfied life that shows up in this kind of enjoyment of him. So here's the question. Are you living out this new way to be human? Are you living that out? Are you living out believer received identity that shows up in your life in gratitude? Are you living out an empowered identity that shows up in dependence on our savior? Now are you living out a satisfied identity that shows up in a real enjoyment of his love for you? Believer, I pray that God will put his finger on one specific thing he's calling you to do as we live out this new way to be human. But there may be others of you here today who've never experienced what we're talking about. You've never, ever experienced this new way to be human. I'd go back to that preschool analogy, that line. Please remember that every single one of us enter this world with our hand on the rope that leads to death. But what we've held out to you in our song in prayer and through the word today is that Jesus loves you. And there's a way to move from that rope that leads to death to that rope that leads to life. The Bible says the first word is repentance. It's repenting of your sin, turning from worship here for yourself, and instead trusting Jesus, trusting that he died for you, he rose again. I had the inestimable privilege last night of getting to watch someone move from holding the rope leading to death to holding the rope leading to life. In our sweet family last night, my son Noah, uh, he prayed to receive Christ. We were, yeah, absolutely. So, so thrilled to watch him and to see brother and sister there with him. And one of the things Shelly said to him as he was going to sleep is she said, Noah, right now the angels in heaven are rejoicing because one sinner has come home. Maybe you're the next person that needs to do that the next person that needs to repent and trust Christ and to come home and experience this new way to be human. If you're online and you're watching with us and that's you today, we would love to connect with you whether you're here or online. We've got this phone number on the screen. This is just a simple number. You can text and tell us you'd like us to pray with you. Tell us you'd like more information about what it means to become a Christian, to experience this new way to be human. Others of you may be visiting for the first time and you want to let us know that you're here. If you're a visitor today and you want to text in and tell us you're here so we can follow up and answer any questions you might have, you can text the word guest or your name to this number. There may be others of you, as Kyle mentioned a moment ago, that need somebody to pray with you. You've got a burden in your life. You want to depend on the Lord. You want to come to Him, but you're struggling with that and you need help. We would love to help you. Any of those things are things God's calling you to do in your life today. We want you to text And respond so we can pray with you, encourage you, and if possible, lead you to the Lord. Remember, Jesus has given us a new way to be human. Live that out in your life as you follow him this week. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that our church family got to see another person come home last night and my son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that Noah is not just my son anymore. He's my brother in Christ. God, I pray for anyone else here today in this room or watching online that's still holding on that rope that's being led by Adam that's leading to death. God, we pray that you'd open their eyes and show them their desperate, desperate need for you, Jesus. And God, we pray they would repent and trust you. Help us, Lord, to live out this new identity, this new way to be human as we follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.